if you've been around Freeway for a little while, you'll know that often, or at least in the last four or five, maybe six years, uh, we start our year with some time in the Psalms. Uh, we call it the Summer Psalm series. We skipped it last year because we wanted to kick the year off in Philippians, but normally uh, we're into the Psalms, so due to popular demand, uh, that's what we're going to be doing this year. We're, we're cracking back into these uh, wonderful little books. Um, <clears throat> Psalms are great, really, because they tend, what they, what they do is they show us how to live. We were discussing it, actually, Robin was just talking about the nature of how they're written, how they show us how to live appropriately uh, before God in the context of a broken world that doesn't tend to want to or pursue living God appropriately. And the psalmist often starts the psalm with an identification of the God who he's praying to, not one of these other shady ones, but, but the God, and then goes into the situation in life that they're experiencing and then finishes with how their heart is reshaped and encouraged and affirmed or, or, or moved to lament or, or confession because of the character and the name and the known attributes of God. And they take, what is, they take these psalms and they, and they base them on the existing truths about God uh, that, have, that have been previous uh, revelations. Psalms tend not to be new information about God and on who he is and what he's doing, but known information and then how they apply that information to wrestle and pray and lament. Um, they long, long for outcomes and give praise in the light of the truths that they know about God and how they're intersected in their experience of life. Psalms tend to describe the faithful attributes of God that have been universal principles for believers throughout all of history. And encouragement, they become encouragement to the current reader because of their timeless principles that they hold. And rather than just knowing about them, these timeless principles, they offer us the opportunity to invite them into our lives, into our lives situation and to trust in them and to be shaped by them just as the original authors were until they give way in our lives to grace-fueled comfort and repentance and praise. The Psalms were the songs and the prayers of faith that Jesus and the early church would turn to themselves to fortify their hearts with what they knew about God to be true and to have their experiences, their realities shaped by these truths. So, like the early church and the faithful people of the Old Testament, we are turning to the Psalms at the start of the year to have our hearts and have our lives shaped by their truths. And today uh, we're looking at Psalm 138, a psalm that describes for us uh, what and how authentic praise or thanksgiving of God looks like and how it gets expressed. So uh, let's pray and we'll get to work. Loving God, we thank you as we begin a new year, as we begin to gather together again for this opportunity to have our hearts and our lives, our minds shaped by your word to us, in particular the Psalms. Now as we look into this psalm, we pray that our hearts would uh, be warmed with affection for you as we see um, a God who who in and of himself is the object and the reason for the praise and worship in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, it's a bit of a blur now. I think I heard someone else say that this morning as they were walking around. Oh, Christmas was a bit of a blur. Uh, we're just coming to terms with the new year. Sandy and I are recovering from the hard work of grandparenting. Uh, Ten days of just craziness. A kid that does not understand the needs of old people, which I've moved into now. I don't think I have. You know, up at five, going to whatever. But uh, it's a tough gig. Fortunately, we just gave her back, and they went back to Townsville, and now we're sleeping. But Christmas Eve um, was, I think, the last time we saw you guys, but we jumped in our car, we drove up to Wodonga, we got there, we unpacked, and we shot out to uh, Katie's boyfriend's house for their annual Christmas cricket match, which I was dominating with the bat until my wife had a strange burst of sporting prowess and ran me out with an elite bit of fielding, which she took way too much joy in, but <laughs> that was that. And then we headed back home and we sat down again and we watched the second half of the Melbourne Carols by Candlelight, which was a real wonderful but weird experience as songs written to acknowledge and to celebrate the greatness and the goodness and the graciousness of God just breaking into the world, uh, bringing hope and peace and joy and love from, from outside of our world and to offer that to us in, in salvation of reconciliation with God, that kind of collided with uh, hosts and artists that had no idea or insight into the realities that they were singing about. Uh, incredible artists, mostly, wonderful performers, but any sense of praise or glory or even wonder at a self-giving God who laid aside his glory and was born into the human race to rescue us was concealed behind a message of self-praise, of self-help, of, of self-actualize, of manifesting a Christmas spirit out of our own endeavors and our own goodness. That was until Sylvie Palladino, is that how you say her name? Sylvia? Sylvie. Sylvie Palladino uh, gave a thank you, Jesus, when she finished her performance of Oh Holy Night. And it was, what struck me was that it was so surprising. It was so surprising and out of place with the commentary that was running on the night. Then on last Friday night, I watched the Illawarra Hawks dismantle poor old southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Uh, Melbourne United didn't go much better last night. We're a bit. We're not talking about the basketball. Let's move on. But at half time, they played an interview with Justin Roberts. He's the uh, Illawarra import, or one of them, and who was speaking about just trying to get back to the NBA and all that sort of stuff. And the interviewer wished him all the best as he finished. And Roberts finished with this. Yeah, well, I'm just trusting God's plan and timing. A rare acknowledgement of God's involvement in someone's life in the Australian sporting landscape. We don't tend to hear it too much. But if you spend a bit of time watching American sport, particular, uh, particularly when a team or a person encounters some kind of success, you will inevitably and unavoidably hear God being thanked for that success. Baseball players often point to the heavens after hitting home runs. NFL players, well, you know, they'll drop to a knee and they'll, they'll give the, the look of, of a prayer after scoring in the end zone. And competitors tend to routinely thank Jesus along with their sponsors in post-game interviews. 
The prevalence of God being thanked for the good fortunes and success of an individual or a team caused CNN writer John Blake to write an article, When Did God Become a Sports Fan? The tipping point for him was after uh, Rich Franklin. He's a mixed martial arts UFC champion. He had just flattened his opponent with a nice, lovely, swift kick to the head. And he took to the ringside mic and he faced the roaring crowd and he said, I just want to say thanks to God, all praise to him. Then he bowed and folded his hands in prayers as his groggy opponent kind of got up and was dragged out of the ring, probably about to meet Jesus. (laughs) Blake asked the question, when did God become a sports fan? When did God need to be recognized for the achievement of athletes? William J. Baker, he's the author of a, God, of a book called Playing With God, people who have God in their lives, who participate in sport. He's a professing Christian himself, makes the observation, rightly or wrongly, from his perspective, that athletes who publicly thank God for victory are often calling uh, more attention to themselves than their faith, selling their own goodness and their brand. That's pretty cynical. My observations are not seeking to be so cynical or to diminish the sincerity of a Christian athlete or Christian performers who literally uh, have very small windows to publicly uh, affirm their faith. That's why, you know, um, Sylvia Palladino has got to just give that quick little thank you Jesus in there. She's letting people know that she understands the realities of these songs. However, with such uh, a critical and sceptical worldview that exists around giving thanks to God for the outcomes of things in their lives and our lives, how do we avoid being misinterpreted? How do we avoid um, not being taken sincerely, just looking like it's a bit of a performance in the end zone or, or whatever? Certainly here in Australia, thanksgiving and praise to God is not just viewed with an eye roll of, oh, here they go again, here goes Rev, whatever, Um, but is seen as culturally intrusive and offensive to the fragile, progressive sensibilities of our culture. So how do we give thanks to God in a way that causes culture to question its lack of thanksgiving to God? Well, our psalm today... uh, is attributed to David and is a psalm of thanksgiving, a psalm of praise. And it's, it's written to express praise to God due to an outcome of a situation or an event in life. And in this case, it, it seems that God has answered David's prayer. And like psalms, they t- tend to do, they give us uh, a pattern to follow, a framework for our lives, which was what Robin was discussing at the start of practice, a uh, music practice today. The... Um, The exact event of this psalm, why it was written, is unknown. Commentators speculate that David wrote this psalm of thanksgiving due to becoming king of a united Israel. And you can read about that event uh, in 2 Samuel 5 to 8. And they think that that's the moment. Reflecting on that moment, David now writes this psalm. The surrounding nations had tried their hardest, sort of knowingly or unknowingly, to thwart God's promise to David that he would be his king and on his throne. And David at some point had called out, prayed to God in relationship to this promise, to this promised throne. And now God has established his promise in David. 
as king of Israel, united Israel on this on that throne. It's certainly a plausible and worthy event for David to write a psalm of praise of thanks to God. But I kind of like it. I think it's more appropriate that we don't actually know the event because that keeps our focus off David and on the activity of God. David lays down for us in this particular psalm three elements in which we can frame our own thanksgiving and praise to God so that we can avoid our thanksgiving as being seen uh, as more about us and, and less about God. Our praise and thanks should depict and describe God. Thanksgiving should be uh, God-glorifying, not so much kind of passively self-glorifying. The object of our thanks should be God over and above our provision, what's been provided, or our particular victory. But having said that, it should never be disconnected from our experience of that favour. Glorifying God is never devoid of the personal practice and emotion of the one giving thanks and praise. It's not a clinical thing, but a deeply passionate uh, overflow of thanks in boldness and humility to make much of God's faithfulness in which David or you and I have placed our trust at some point. Uh, we've committed our life to it in prayer. And then we've seen it come about. David begins, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my, with my whole heart. Thanksgiving is not just this intellectual assent or spoken word, but a complete act of worship. Thanksgiving is the expression of a heart's passion towards God and, and who he is. I give you, O Lord, Thanks. Not the stuff you gave me, not the provision that I've encountered, but, but you. That's where the heart affection travels. And because the object of his praise and thanks is God, he can rightly pour his whole heart into it. Like God is a big enough object for us to just pour everything of ourselves into him. Whether that's through prayer, whether that's through music and singing or, or offerings, and we've been doing all of that today, what it should never be is a tame thing, uh, a sterile thing. David can hardly contain himself. There's a, a boldness to his praise as he seeks to make much of God. It's not a timid approach. He doesn't care if people wish to make comment or notice on, on him giving praise. The passion of his heart is that God would be praised. Thanksgiving that glorifies God has a passion and a boldness to it because of the greatness of God, not so much of their personal achievement. And it describes and it makes God known. It joins in the exalting of his name above all things. He's not looking over his shoulder wondering if new people at church think he's odd for singing with such passion, nor is he kind of just slinking up to God like he doesn't deserve to be there. Thanksgiving that glorifies God flows from the heart unfettered, unrestrained. There is an unashamedness about the goodness and the greatness of God in real, authentic, genuine praise. Secondly, we notice that it's also persistent. It's not shut down or beaten into a corner by the pervading culture or public opinion. Before the gods 
I sing your praise, David says. Before the more popular alternatives and ideas to pour your passion and your purpose into, David heads to his place of worship to publicly give praise and thanks. The Bible uses the word gods to describe the the various entities that have been ascribed uh, spiritual deistic qualities by culture and religious practice. They're not even remotely equal with the Lord, but their influence and and their acceptance is acknowledged in Scripture. It's not hidden from or denied. The Bible doesn't try to pretend that we have made objects of worship out of other things than God or that there are actual entities and, and, and realities and principles and power out there that are, that are actually trying to direct your heart and steal your heart from God and into these other things. He calls them gods, principalities and powers. Paul talks about it. David says, I will give thanks specifically to the Lord singling God out as the only one deserving of thanks despite the pervading culture that denies or mocks such a line of thought. Thanksgiving, appropriate thanksgiving and praise, it glorifies God, perseveres, it it, it persists despite opposing ideas and influences. Thirdly, we notice that thanksgiving that glorifies God, uh, appropriate thanksgiving, changes our posture. Even though there is a boldness and a passion in giving thanks, it's balanced with humility and awe. I bow down to your holy temple. The temple is the location of God's presence on earth amidst his people. David is saying, I I humble myself. I bow down in thanks before a personally present God. God is not some remote Deity off in the distance, but he's present with his people. And, and David's mindful of that, and, he, and he's humbly in awe, bowing down before that. The temple in David's day was actually a tent of meeting. Nevertheless, David conveys that while there is a boldness in thanksgiving, there's also no room for self-indulgent pride. Thanksgiving has a posture of humility and awe. It's about the one receiving the praise, receiving the thanksgiving, not the one who's actually giving it. The object of this thanksgiving, this passion, this persistence, and this changed posture we read here is God's name or his reputation. God's name is the equivalent to his revealed and experienced character and activity. The the sum total of everything that is known about God can be described in his name. And it is described here with such words as, unfailing steadfast love and your faithfulness or your loyalty these are the words that are being applied here to the name of God and these uh, phrases these expressions are often summarized in uh, an expression a little word has said the has said of God his covenantal love and faithfulness to his people the content of our passion the content of our praise is the has said of God the enabling behind our persistence is the hesed of God. The transforming of our posture is the hesed of God. His faithfulness to his promise, his goodness to his people, his loyalty to his word, his answering of our prayers. All of these things, these known and experienced qualities of who God is are what forms our praise. 
David knew he had a God of said. So rather than work harder and worry more, he prayed longer and he trusted deeper. In his distress, he called out. He prayed. And at one level, God answered him right then and there. On the day he called, no doubt this is to do with an experience within him that would hold him in place until the promise was fulfilled. So David prays and there's something in his soul that's warm and and he just knows despite all the pervading uh, environments and all that's going on, he just knows that one day he's going to be sitting on that throne and now he is, he looks back and he writes this psalm. Our thanksgiving should be about making much of God, giving glory to God in prayer, in in your music, in our singing, in our preaching. Where are you? At home watering your plants or or at work, doing your job. Our lives should be giving thanks and expressing thanks to God. In all of these things, give glory to God. Not because he needs it, but because God deserves it. David's focus is on the attributes of God, the hesed of God as the object of his thanks and praise, not so much the event or the experience. That's what's shaping David's praise, the the name of God, who he is, his character, what he has done. Caution as we read Psalms, caution as we read any scripture really, needs to be taken here when we apply Psalms to our lives. We are not um, the unique figure of redemptive history that David is. So there's going to be certain aspects that only apply to him and his life. God has uniquely promised outcomes to David that you and I are simply not promised, like the establishing in David of a royal line for his Messiah. And then what we see is that this promise gets recognized by kings and rulers as time goes on who are seeing the outworking of this promise of God, who are also giving praise to God for us. So as, as lives uh, expose and live out praise to God for the goodness of him, others are watching on and looking on, and they're, they're seeing that God is actually faithful. Hey, he said that to David way back then, and here he is, the ruler. And as they look back, they give praise to God for it. We, see, we can read about that in 2 Samuel 5, 11 and 8, 9. David's prayer of praise and thanksgiving was not merely about his throne, but that in his throne God would establish his word and his promise before a watching world. Ultimately, and in the end, all kings and all rulers and all powers will give thanks to God for fulfilled promises that establish the salvation of the lost. One day it won't just be Sylvia Palladino who thanks Jesus, but all things will bow and all people will give praise. But now our lives, our our experience of the goodness of God and his has said in our life for us should be bearing witness to a world, namely and ultimately that what we find in Jesus and who he is to us, the fulfillment of these promises that were given to David, um, they should be fill the content of our praise and our thanksgiving. And they, this is what should be bearing witness to a watching world. As John famously points out in his gospel, for in this way 
God so loved the world that he gave, he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The promises of God uh, that get applied to the believer now because of Jesus are things like conviction of, uh, forgiveness for, and freedom from sin. A new quality of life that is eternal, uh, intimacy with God, the enabling presence of the Holy Spirit to live in joyful agreement with God, security of a restored world, you know, our hope in the future in which to live and, and, and the worship in which to live and worship. Comfort for now as we experience, as we still experience the, the dying throes of sin. Like these are the realities that we have. Like all David had back when he uh, when his prayer was answered was a troublesome crown. That's what he had. We have so much more. Our experience of God's promise in our lives is much more to give praise for. When God interrupts our lives with his grace found in Jesus, our response should be passionate thanksgiving, persistent thanksgiving, uh, um, measured with humble awe. But thanksgiving should not be just a private matter between us and God. It should form part of our interaction with the world. We should be able to articulate and demonstrate why we are passionately, uh, persistently with this mixture of boldness and humility, giving thanks to God. When someone asks, why are you not broken because of your environment or what's going on? Well, because we have a greater promise. Because we have a more satisfying desire found in Jesus. The Lord is my portion. And then to be able to put some flesh on that. Thanksgiving is not just for a particular time and place like church, but it is all of life and should bear witness to those around us that the ongoing experience of God's kindness and faithfulness and answer to prayer is the very soil you know, of our hope and our peace and our joy and our love. <clears throat> The very comfort of our souls in our distress. I had to go and see the doctor towards the end of last year. I think it was when I had that falling episode. No one knew what happened. I just woke up and fell over and broke a rib. And Anyway, I had to go and see the doctor. And I'm in there and he's like, you got anything going on in your world? Like, and I said, oh, no, it's all pretty good. And then he said, yeah, no stress anywhere. And I was like, ah. Oh. And then I started to talk to him about what had been going on in my year, like, my father had passed away, two of my uncles had died all in the space of seven weeks and I had all this stuff going on with, um, uh, what's that stuff I'm doing? Probate. Anyway, he's, and he, he looked at me and he goes, how are you so positive? I didn't think I was that positive. How are you so positive? Why, why are you even getting out of bed in the morning? I, I would love to be able to have that kind of positivity. I was like, mate, it ain't me. It's the faith I have in Jesus that gets me going every day, that allows me to put context to everything that's going on. It was a really simple moment, but that's the kind of thing. Like, what, where, where do we give our praise and our glory to? I said, my friend, Freeway Baptist Church, 10 o'clock every Sunday morning, stop, stop healing people and come down there and be healed yourself. Uh, I haven't seen him yet. 
we have a good relationship. But I wasn't um, making much of myself because I was pretty sad. But I was making much of the fact that I had a God that held me together, that allowed me to, 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 to still function as a human being, humble but in awe of God. And it should stop people in their tracks. And it should ask them and to inquire about, like, what gives, man? How does your world of thanksgiving speak to those around you? How is it that in just the simple little moments in life, our praise and our worship of God, in just stuff like that, acknowledging, operating the lives of those around you? Finally, thanksgiving is an activity through which we affirm our confidence in God's purpose and promise. We give thanks to God. Uh, when we do that, we're recalibrating our hearts to the goodness of God in our lives. And that's what I was doing right then and there. Like, my world did suck. But I'm recalibrating, I'm being shaped by the goodness of God and not my environment. We're reminding ourselves that He is faithful. And we are, and as we do, we're witnessing to others. We're affirming our faith and the goodness of God. He's care for us. David thanks God that he is mindful of the lowly. And the proud. No one escapes the eye of the Lord. They're both seen, both recognized by the Lord. But in his dealings with them, they're, 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 there's, an, there's a great reversal. The proud who are often pictured as gaining their place in life at the expense of the vulnerable and the lonely are now held to account. God is pictured as the one who defends the righteous against the schemes of the wicked. God um, preserves and delivers the lives of the humble heart, the heart of the persistent and passionate uh, person who, who praises God, who, who gives thanks to God's faithfulness towards him. The wicked, though, despise and, and, and disregard, and, and, and they make the faithful feel lowly. But God has drawn near to the lonely and he holds them with regard and he takes notice of their prayers. They are not insignificant. God is their rod and their staff, as Psalm 23 says. The master shepherd who comforts the soul gives rest in green pastures, peace in still waters, leading us in paths of righteousness, leading us in, in the goodness of God. He is involved in their lives. And the reason why he's involved in their lives is for his name's sake. That his name would be praised. That it would be lifted up. Through the lowly God is shown as powerful. He is the defender of the weak and he comforts those in need. God gives regard to the lowly. He takes a special notice of them so that they can affirm his name in their hearts. So they can trust in his promises. We have a God who oversees all of creation and yet is mindful of the lowly, that they would experience the riches of his promises, that they would experience the riches of who he is, his name, his has said, his goodness. He stoops down to their aid. He, he, he perseveres and preserves uh, in their lives in the midst of trouble against the wrath of enemies and his right hand delivers them God will fulfill his promise he will be faithful to his his has said in their lives and the ultimate proof of this down through the ages is the incarnation of Jesus 
For he became poor that we might become rich. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He became a servant that, that we might be set free. That's again, he's writing to the Philippians. He became an outcast that we might become welcome. He became sin that we might become righteousness. A God who made a promise way back in Genesis 3 as we saw last year and he affirms it again in Abraham and he sets it in course in, in David and the, and the promise to David and he completes it in Jesus. Is a God of steadfast, enduring love toward the lowly and the lost. A God who answers the prayers of those who pray in accord with his promise, who call out to his name. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. That love is a promise that became flesh in Jesus and it pursues you and it pursues me. The question is, has, has, has it changed your posture from pride to humility? Has it fueled a greater passion in your heart for God? Has it filled you with a boldness that holds you in place even when culture kind of swells against you? Has it warmed your heart with affection for God that gives praise and thanks for the work of his hand in your life? That's what, that's what this psalm is, is, is seeking to teach us, is seeking to give us a framework for in life. This morning as we come to the end of this little bit of a time, we have an opportunity to do that right now. As we take communion, uh, these, these communion tables are... Tables of the faithfulness of God to his promise. A table that pictures the character of God and his goodness and his steadfast love to us. A table that reminds us of all that God did to be faithful to his promises, to renew our hearts in a worship of praise and glory to God. This morning, uh, we just want to start the year by taking a little bit of time just to sit quietly and give thanks and praise to God. We we did it earlier this morning when when and, and, and some of us were like scratching around, trying to think, oh man, it's been and, and we went instantly to the, the hard and the negative things of of life. And we're trying to work out how to give praise and thanks to God. But this is what we want to do right now is sit for a moment. And the fact that you can come and speak to the God of the universe with whatever's going on in your life and call out to him is in itself enough to give praise that he has responded to that ultimately by the sending of Jesus to deal with all that afflicts the human condition to give us a hope and a peace and a joy and a love that passes all understanding so this morning just going to pull away these little cloths and just come and, and take the bread and the cup and these are elements that remind us of Jesus' death and sacrifice on our behalf, the dealing of sin, that we might come back into relationship with God and just give thanks for that and then we'll pray and then we'll close out our service today. Let's give thanks to God for his goodness, for his steadfast love to us, his kindness to us that is meted to us in the Son, Jesus. We give thanks and praise for who he is and what he has done in our lives. And we thank you, uh, Lord, for this.